Hey there. Welcome back to Middle of Everywhere's third season. We've been focusing on how living in rural America affects women's health. And this week, we wanted to go back into the archives and pull up a favorite from our first season. In this episode, you'll hear from a Black woman working to preserve a forgotten but incredible part of Black history in her town. As the building she's working to preserve comes back to life, she sees her own disease beginning to wane. The connection between her health and the health of this iconic piece of Black history is evident. Enjoy. Can I help you, sugar? We're interested in coming in to see the hotel. Well, honey, you can't come in here. This ain't for you. You might need to get in your car and go somewhere else. This is a colored hotel, sugar. You can't come on in here. Mm-mm. Austin, I'm sure you've never been told you couldn't enter a place of business because of your race. I feel lucky to say that that has never happened to me. Well, I can now say that I have experienced that, though it was in good faith of giving people like me a tiny bit of the Black American experience. So this was the hotel's owner that rejected you? It was the hotel's current owner, Betty Dobson, under the guise of the hotel's founder and very first owner, Maggie Steed. Maggie built this hotel in Paducah, Kentucky, back in 1908. It grew to become a nationally renowned place to stay. There were a few hotels African Americans could stay in in Paducah during the 20th century, but... There were none as nice as the Hotel Metropolitan. The Hotel Metropolitan became the classiest hotel in Paducah for African Americans during the time of Jim Crow. And it remained open for nearly a century before finally closing its doors in total disrepair in 1996. Oh, wow. And Betty brought it back to life at the turn of the century, right? That's right. This bit of black history was on the verge of being completely lost forever. Without the drive of Betty Dobson, it would not have occurred. So when I was finally admitted entrance to the hotel by Maggie, she gave me an amazing tour full of history and so many stories of things she's seen go on there. I really had no idea that this relic of the early 20th century, which is practically in our backyard, Austin, contains such a deep and awesome history of black icons in the U.S. Icons who are not just the numerous famous people who live there, but the people, the women, who made this hotel happen and kept it running. These women got an idea, and Maggie had to be that person that she was willing to get the job done. And Betty is one of those women. Yeah. Her connection to the hotel has been life-altering for her. She's been nursing this hotel back to health while also bringing herself back from a debilitating illness. And the two of them, the hotel and Betty, have kind of gained in health and recognition together over the last 20 years. It's become a kind of retainer for a fragile and threatened history. And it all started one day with her daughter's want for some candy. That day, just opened up a whole different life for me. Who preserves the history surrounding us? Can we have an impact in our small communities and on the story that gets retold? This is Middle of Everywhere, telling big stories from the small places we call home. 
I'm Austin Carter. And I'm Ariel Avery. Today, welcome to the Hotel Metropolitan. Welcome to the Hotel Metropolitan. I own this here hotel. Maggie Steed and her husband were black residents of Paducah, Kentucky, who had extra room in their house to put up black visitors. And so when folks started coming in and the word got around that if you needed a nice place to stay and you colored, come to the Hotel Metropolitan. Well, Henry and I was doing such a good business. I said, Henry, maybe we should go and see if we can get a hotel built for colored folks, you know. He said to me, Maggie, had you done lost your mind? We can't build no hotel for colored folks. You are a crazy woman. Maggie Steed was a woman before her time. She had this vision of the hotel well before anyone imagined that a black woman could found and run a business like this all on her own. But once she had this idea, she pursued it unapologetically. She approached the local lumber company mogul, Mr. Orr, who she did laundry for. She brought him one of her signature dishes. He loves my chest pies. And after delivering her signature pie, along with extra starched and pressed shirts, she asked him for support and funding in building a hotel, especially for African-American travelers. What did he think of that proposal? You can't get a hotel built. you a woman and a colored woman at that. Who in the world gonna come to a colored hotel anyway? I guess I'm not surprised by this reaction from a presumably rich white man at this point in history, but that's pretty disappointing. Yeah. Well, she explained to him simply that black folks who were traveling through Paducah, folks they had already been putting up in their home, would come to their hotel. We want somewhere decent, just like you do when you travel. And I tell you this, whoever got the mind to do it, they're going to make them some money. This seemed to be a gap in Mr. Orr's thinking. I guess he forgot about all the people who traveled through the area and weren't allowed to stay in the same hotel as white people. What I didn't tell you, honey, is that when I went to talk to Mr. Orr and I took him back them papers with Henry's name, he didn't know I had signed those papers because Henry had been dead for four years. But, honey, I didn't think that really mattered. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. She forged her dead husband's signature? It doesn't seem like she had much grief over that. (laughs) I don't think she had any grief over it. She had one goal, and it was incredibly important for her to get this done. She's a can-do woman. So Maggie, armed with food, extra starch shirts, incredible powers of persuasion, and her forged documents, got her hotel funded. Sounds like you learned a lot about her personal life on this tour. Yeah, that, and she told me lots of little tidbits about being black at that time. Like this test that black people would undergo to determine whether they could go to school. Sugar, you know what this is? Looks like a paper bag. What what color is this paper bag? Looks brown to me. But what if I told you, in my day to go to school, that this bag would determine if you could go to school or not? What is she talking about? Well, she was referring to something called the brown paper bag test. It was a test that determined which black children could go to school. These men had children by their slaves. 
and they wanted them educated. If the children's belly skin was lighter than the color of the brown paper bag, they would be allowed. Thus was the paper bag test born. Wow, that's something I had no idea about, but it's such a crucial part of history. Another interesting artifact Maggie told me about I found very intriguing as a curly-haired person who has spent too much of my life trying to straighten it. The pressing cone. Sugar, if you had one, that meant you was uptown, and you know Miss Maggie's uptown. The pressing comb was invented by the first black woman millionaire who was born in Metropolis, Illinois, right up the road from Paducah. Annie Turbo Malone. And she showed me how to use it. If you took this hot comb and it's smoking and put it in your hair, honey, you ain't going to have no more hair, so you ain't got to worry about what a pressing comb could do for you. There are so many inventions that a lot of people, myself included, don't realize came from early African-American inventors. Did she talk about the hotel's presence in Paducah later on as it became more of a fixture? Not a lot, but I did talk with someone who grew up in the same neighborhood and was enamored with the visitors that would come. His name was Winfred Nunn. So I was riding my tricycle, and uh, this bus stopped, and I saw uh, these black men get out with hair slicked back, glistening in the sun, and they were dressed up. And I said, Mama, who are Look at that. Come here, come on. So I pulled out of the house. She came out and she said, that's uh, Duke Ellington's band. Duke Ellington's band? That's so cool. <laughs> Winfred explained to me that the hotel was built in the primary black neighborhood of Paducah, which was only like a four-block diameter. The Metropolitan Hotel, as in uh, the black neighborhood, which was a part of the black business hub in Paducah, uh, 7th Street, 8th Street, Washington Street to Ohio Street. This hotel was also part of the Chitlin Circuit. The Chitlin Circuit was like an underground railroad type of thing. On the routes that you were given on the Chitlin Circuit, you knew that you would find restaurants, churches, you know, people who fix cars, anything you would need, you would find it on the Chitlin Circuit. And out of the Chitlin Circuit, a book started being distributed called The Green Book. The Green Book was put together by Mr. Green, who lived, I believe, in New York. And because he was a delivery person, people would stop him if they were Black and, and, and ask him, okay, in the city, where can I go get a, a meal? Or what's the restaurants? Or which way should I go to travel to get to wherever I want it? And he was getting so much of that, he decided to put together um, the Green Book. It's named after him. He would give you little hints of things that you should know, like saying, talk politely when uh, speaking to your white counterpart or, you know, just just little things that you would go, wow, why would he say that? But he was saying it because he wanted you to be safe in your travels. And Maggie was very proud to have been featured in this book. And if you look in that book, the Hotel Metropolitan in the 1940 Green Book is on page 17. We have always been there for colored travelers. Huh, so this book really put them on the map. Yep, and the hotel was pretty famous among the black community. 
So many famous people have stayed there, and it operated well after Jim Crow, all the way until 1996. The hotel has, since its conception, had only been closed maybe a year or two before it would reopen again. And the unique thing about it, it's had only four owners in its history. So Betty started working on rejuvenating this hotel back in the early 2000s. How did she get into it? Well, she went through a very unexpected journey to get to this place. I've been working with the project for about 20 years. This is my 21st year. Getting involved in the project from the first place began with my daughter. It was 3 o'clock or better in the afternoon. And she said, I'm going to go to the store with my friends to get candy. Uh, I said, where are you going to go get candy? She said, I'm going to the liquor store. And I'm like, no, (laughs) you're not going to the liquor store. (laughs) That does seem like a little bit of a risky place for kids to find candy. Right. (laughs) I think this kind of exemplifies the lack of resources for kids and families in the neighborhood. My friend and I began talking and got with the gentleman who owns the vacant block over there or, or property and asked him if we could put up a a building where we could sell candy and stuff like that to keep the kids from the liquor stores. Betty and her friend put up a snack shack that was open after school. That's so great that she was available to start a service like that for the kids. Well, she had been working in sales for a long time, but had taken some time off work because of a debilitating and life-changing event. I was dealing with my illness. I was walking into my job and my leg just stopped moving and I almost fell flat on my face. So finally I go to the doctor and he said, you got MS. (laughs) She starts reeling. The comedian Richard Pryor was diagnosed with MS and he was in a wheelchair. And so, and and, uh, Lola Falano. A famous dancer and actor. She was, you know, really bad. And I thought, oh my God, I'm gonna, this is my fate. There was this time that I couldn't focus to talk. I couldn't pick up things. Um, I I would stumble. And and they were like, you need to get your house ready. You know, think about a ramp. And and I'm like, oh my God, it's it's real. I'm going to be, this is it for me, you know. And then all at once, my condition got better. And the doctor said, what are you doing? I said, I don't know, I I just feel better. And I found out I was pregnant. Whoa. Her MS had gone into remission because of the pregnancy with her son. He made me strong enough where I could do something, you know, and while I was on the mend, My daughter comes up and and gives me a challenge to do something better. So that that gave me the incentive to like, okay, I don't care if Richard Pryor is in a wheelchair and he can't walk and Lola Falana's bedridden. 
that's them. I think I could do this. With the remission of her disease, she found a whole new purpose. Over the years, I, I had come to the, to the conclusion that the Lord slowed me down for a reason, because I was so devastated to learn that I had MS. What was that gonna mean for my life? My life was basically over. That day just opened up a whole different life for me. When we come back, we'll get into how MS and pregnancy allowed her to embark on a journey that saved her and her community's history. Support for Middle of Everywhere comes from Kentucky Humanities. An affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities, Kentucky Humanities is dedicated to bringing the humanities to classrooms and communities across the state, promoting literacy and civil discourse, building pride in the Commonwealth, and telling all of Kentucky's stories. Learn more at kyhumanities.org. If you find yourself wanting to see and learn more about the story in this episode, visit our website, middleofeverywherepod.org. It's full of expanded content, transcripts, and visual companions for each episode, including photographs and original artwork commissioned from Murray State University art students, along with links to all of our available episodes. That's middleofeverywherepod.org. So Betty got the diagnosis of MS and then got pregnant, putting the MS into remission, and that all seems like a pretty harrowing experience. So how did she end up taking on the hotel? Well, she was running the snack shack every day after school. And, and we were doing pretty good with it. But there were some pretty disturbing changes happening in the neighborhood. At that particular time, Lincoln High School was being torn down. Lincoln High School was the only African-American school in Paducah, as Clarence Gaines remembered in his archived audio interview. The only one that uh, they had for, for blacks was Lincoln. Uh, as the elementary, junior high, and senior high school. They just tore down parts of West Kentucky, the original industrial college here in Paducah. And the Hotel Metropolitan was slated for condemnation. So that was three black buildings of historical significance to the black community that was going to be torn down. This gentleman came and he was telling us he was proud that we were making a difference by placing this store there for the children. And their little store just happened to be across the street from the Hotel Metropolitan. It reported at the hotel, and it was, I mean, a hot mess. You know, it had aluminum siding on it, and it was popping off. The roof looked like it was getting ready to cave in. And he was saying to me, y'all should, I wish you all could save that building. And I'm like, it should be torn down. And he said, oh, baby, you don't mean that. I said, yes, I do. He said, did you know that uh, Cab Calloway stayed there? Duke Ellington, Billy Holiday. And I said, in that? <laughs> it was really interesting to hear Betty talk about the hotel this way. Given this question we asked at the top about who really writes history and why some buildings get chosen for preservation over others. Yeah, especially because she didn't even know the historical significance of this place. Right. It makes you stop and think a bit about how this history gets written in the first place. You need people who are in the know about local history to be the stewards of these places. So I guess Betty was in the know now. 
I thought, let's find out who the owners is. And this is how the story begins. <laughs> she starts asking around to people who know a bit about the hotel to try to find out who the owner is. Folks were saying, you need to talk to Big House Gangs. And I'm like, who is Big House Gangs? They're like, you're crazy. You don't know who Big House Gangs is. He's the most winningest collegiate basketball coach in America. So she meets Coach Gaines, who owns the building, becomes a basketball fan, and asks him to give her and her collaborators the hotel. But he's hesitant about turning it over. Because he said that we were little girls. (laughs) And he didn't know if we could pull off something like this. We had to put together a coalition. As things start coming together, more people start coming out in support of the project. This heart has Every day, and I kid you not, the Lord would send me somebody for what I needed. Bill Black Jr., who was one of the owners of Ray Black and Sons Construction Company, said, what can I do to help? I'm not a writer. Bill says, you know what? I know this lady, she's an excellent writer. Her name is Sharon Sharon Pope. He said, what if I asked Sharon to come aboard and help you? And while all this energy for the project is building up and people are getting on board, Betty is continuing to battle her illness. And setbacks in the progress for the hotel would really affect her illness. So we did one step and feeling a little bit better. Then we'll have a fallback. I will fall back. The emotional part of it, it it just takes you with it. So the rejuvenation of the hotel is looking like it's going to become a real thing at this point. Yes, but she still needed to raise the money required to start renovations. And at this point, I want to dig into this relationship Betty has with the women in her life and how they've really helped boost this project into reality. My mom, I would talk with her every day, even though we had our board meetings and all of that. Betty's mother and grandmother influenced her to become a strong female leader, similar to Maggie Steed. They had the will to create things in the face of adversity. And I think that's where I had an open mind to say, hey, you know, I could I could get this done because, like I said, my mom and my mo- grandmother were strong females in the community. And if there was something that was going on, people would contact them. They would help. They would get things done. And this mindset ends up doing everything to get the renovations going. Mr. Black says to us, well, if you could get $250,000, I think we could restore the hotel. Well, Coach Gaines said, Let me see if I can't help you find that money. Puts us in contact with a man who's over the USDA. And he said, I think I have a grant that you would qualify for. It's called Rural Development. We qualified for the grant. He got us $300,000. We were so happy because we thought it was over. We had a big celebration on the vacant lot across the street. We had the assistant governor of the state of Kentucky come down, and Coach Gaines was here, his wife, his family, and representatives and senators came. We've made it, me and Cheryl's hugging. This is it. We've made it. The hotel's safe. We're all happy. 
And then Mr. Black goes, hold on. 300,000's not gonna get it. He said, ladies, you just got to the hotel in time because if it had went a month or two longer, we would not be able to do anything. It was like, where are we gonna get more money? Then it hit us to get talking to my mom. I, I told her, I said, you know, we thought we had it done, mama. $300,000, we just knew that was enough. And she said, I'm gonna tell you something, baby. You're gonna have to go talk to them folks down there and ask them for money. And they don't wanna see you or hear you coming. She said, when you go talk to them, make it worth their while. Take them a pass. It's so funny how a decision can be so easily influenced by something as small as being well fed. <laughs> I knew you'd understand this method of persuasion. So the deployment of food becomes a primary tactic for Betty in accomplishing her goals. I called some of the union leaders and asked them if they could help. So I said, well, if they come, you know, I'll, I'll feed them and stuff. I said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll come. Evidently, it was like some guy called another guy. This lady's over here cooking. She got a nice spread for us. So some more guys came to help out. Same thing happened with the painters union when we needed painting. Plumbers union fell in. But we were still needing some money, right? The, the judge executive at this time happened to call me, Judge Orzine. And he said, Betty, can you meet this lady? Over at the hotel, my mom said, here, take your apple butter with you. And my mom made it made some of the best apple butter in the whole world. When I get here, I meet the lady. I take her on the tour. And Betty has no idea who this woman really is. She couldn't tell me how she could help me. But what I didn't know is that she was an associate of Senator Bunning. Jim Bunning was a famous Kentucky senator at the time. So after the tour, Betty pulls out her mother's apple butter. You know what? I got something for you. She said, I hadn't had apple butter in years. I said, well, you're in for a treat. Oh man, you can't get any better than some good apple butter. But there must have been more significance to this apple butter if you're bringing it up. Well, Betty didn't know who this woman was, right? So she and her team continue pursuing their goal. We're still looking for grants. How are we going to get this extra money? I started getting calls. People, congratulations, over emails, congratulations. It's in the newspaper. Hotel Metropolitan gets $250,000 from Save America's Treasure. Oh, man, and she didn't know? No idea what was going on. So she called the office for Save America's Treasures. I said, but we didn't apply for it. And she said, well, do you know Senator Bunning? And I said, no. She said, do you know Senator Mitch McConnell? I said, I've heard of him. <laughs> she said, they applied for it on your behalf. I immediately called TC. TC was the woman she gave the apple butter to. I said, TC, did you get us a grant? She said, I sure did. 
And she said, you won't believe it. I'm enjoying some of your mom's delicious apple butter right now. Food has got to be a part of anything we do. I love that the gifts of food have really helped bring this project to fruition. So did they get what they needed to start the renovation? Yep. Bill was the gentleman that worked with us. Bill Black from Ray Black & Son, which is a general contracting company that does historic preservation in Paducah, he was the lead on this project. Unfortunately, Bill died a few years back, but Bill's brother, Chris Black, and the president of the company knows a lot about the project. Um, The roof line, we could see from the exterior, needed a lot of help. That structurally, it had developed an enormous sway in the ridge line. Like Betty mentioned earlier, the building was really close to being unsalvageable. But they did find several really unique treatments to the interior that told a story about the owners. One of the tidbits that we found interesting was in an upper floor closet, there were seven or eight different types of wallpaper on the wall, but only one layer. And it became evident that the remnants from other rooms that were papered that were left over were then used in this in this closet to clean up its walls and to decorate it, but with all the different bits that had been left over from, from other rooms and patterns. As flooring was uncovered, there were very early pieces of vinyl flooring that were actually decorative and in the form of what would be a rug. They were an efficient, durable form of decoration to be put over a pine floor. Wow, that's pretty cool. So there was a real economical use of materials that they found. Yeah, it really reminded me of one of the practices Maggie revealed to me about how she made sure not to waste uneaten food. And now the trick was, if I had any of them taters left over, i put it right back <laughs> in the skillet the next morning, put a little water and some onions in there, and it come up a nice little boil, and i feed it to them the next day. <laughs> there was an efficiency to the use of materials that extended to decorating a closet with what you had on hand. Betty and Chris also both mentioned the architect for the hotel, as it really speaks to the respect Maggie was able to garner for this hotel from the beginning. It was a white architect. A.L. Laster. Who worked on several other big and well-known projects in Paducah. His specification and description of the work for the Metropolitan Hotel was uh, very thorough and complete. He didn't take any shortcuts in doing the work for the Steeds. Even though it was unheard of at that time for a black woman to be heading up a project like this, it's really had such a history of greatness from the beginning. It's hard to believe it was so close to being lost forever. Even though the hotel at the moment has been spared, There are plenty of concerned black citizens in Paducah about the continued loss of black history there, especially for the younger generations. I think there's a certain amount of complacency all over America now with a lot of our youngsters, because those youngsters who don't achieve, you'd like to see them more ambitious. 
the young kids are coming from families who are not really into history like I am. So if you don't tell your kids about the past, all this stuff in Paducah, except the Metropolitan Hotel, has been torn down. Every time there has been a change in this country, it has been brought on by young people. The Civil Rights Movement, brought on by young people. It was the young people who said, look, Mom, you're, you're okay with stepping off the sidewalk every time a white person comes by. I'm not gonna do that anymore. These kind of places should stand, if nothing else, to say, your forefathers and mothers worked hard for you to have something better. Seeing Lincoln's school torn down uh, bothered me quite a bit. And the reason why is that it was close to the time that we were saving, the, trying to save the hotel, and we didn't really know if we could do that. Austin, I'm sure you remember when Charles Booker suddenly surged in the polls in 2020, challenging Amy McGrath's Democratic candidacy for Kentucky senator? Yeah, of course. Well, one of the spots where Booker wanted to rally was at the Hotel Metropolitan. I was honored the day that they phoned me and asked that the hotel could be the destination for the march and to have Representative Booker to speak on the hotel's front porch. Marching from the McCracken County Courthouse to the Hotel Metropolitan. They say they're taking a stand for racial justice. A young black man who wants to do something better for our country wants to stand on the steps of a black hotel that a woman put here so her people could have something better. And they asked me to be a part of that. Girl, I was just almost in tears, just bubbling. My granddaughter said to me later that day, Mimi, I'm so proud of you in the hotel. And I think that was probably the best moment of everything because in that moment, I saw my, I saw my granddaughter see me in the same light that I saw my mom and my grandmother and how proud I was of them. And I could see her doing that for me. It was just an awesome feeling. I think the thing about the Hotel Metropolitan that is important is when I look at the broad group of people that were required and the efforts and the points of contribution that occurred. It took local not-for-profits, it took local government, it took state government, it took federal USDA help and support, um, volunteers from all walks. Without the drive of Betty Dobson, it would not have occurred. Betty's ability to have her appeal heard and it be recognized by a broad group of people that were then willing to put their shoulder
So the hotel has really been a success story in the face of all the other history of that neighborhood that's gone. It's definitely an important success story for the community. But so much history has been lost in the neighborhood already that it wouldn't be recognized for the neighborhood it was in 1950. To my knowledge, all of that bit of history was destroyed. How can you have an area up where they supposed to be Black Heritage Program with nothing that would remind you of a, uh, a Black experience or a guy my age or anybody else? You don't let things like that happen. Uh, I would like to see the Metropolitan expand to include more uh, things about black history because uh, if we don't do it, it'll be a part of our life that's lost forever. But, you know, the sad thing about it, I don't know what's going to happen to the Metropolitan when Betty Thompson is not running the, the Metropolitan. That's just kind of shape it's in. I don't see any young person that will come in and pick up where Betty left off. You know, we lose little bits of history every day. And while the preservation of the Hotel Metropolitan feels like a victory in preserving this history, it's also hard to not feel a little discouraged or uncertain about the ability of people to pass on this vital knowledge. It just seems like we need more Bettys and Maggies and to each continue to learn and cherish the lessons of the past. Now, I know you white folks are accustomed to going wherever you want to go, but we got Jim Crow laws we have to abide by. And I just can't let you walk in here just because you want to. I'll let you come in because I want you to. But it's on my terms. You understand that? Understood. All right now, come on in. Visit us at middleofeverywherepod.org. And while you're there, sign up for our newsletter so you'll always be the first to know about exciting updates and new episodes. This episode of Middle of Everywhere was produced by me, Ariel Lavery, with the editorial help from my co-host, Austin Carter. Our editor is Naomi Starobin. Our theme music was composed and recorded by Time on the String Sound Studio in Paducah, Kentucky. Other scoring was from APM Music. Oral history recordings were provided by the Kentucky Oral History Commission of the Kentucky Historical Society. Ray Blackenson is a financial contributor to WKMS. Thanks to WPSD News Channel 6 for their clip of the Charles Booker Rally. Marketing and sponsorship support comes from Dixie Lynn. Thank you to our intern, Serenity Rogers. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Middle of Everywhere Pod. Middle of Everywhere is a production of WKMS and PRX. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private organization funded by the American people.
from PRX.